You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. everyone, welcome to another edition of Nerdificent. I am one half of your host, Danny Fernandez, sitting across from me as always. If you want anyway, how's everybody doing? You look sh- we look schnazzy. Yeah, yeah, very schnazzy. We like match too. I know. And then I have this excuse to break out. I can't raise Oops. this too high. <laughs> yeah. Not that you haven't like... I don't care. I've I've bared all at all times, especially my friends. That sounds bad. You know what? We have that giggle on here is you know her, you love her. Uh, she's a pop pop culture critic, amazing, very thoughtful writer. It is our friend Joelle Monique. Hey, hey. hey I'm hey. so excited. Hey, how's it going? I see you came really prepared. Good. You brought the book with you. I have readings, dramatic readings for you guys. Oh yeah. Uh, especially as we start to talk about uh, the differences and similarities between the show and yeah. the comic book. Ooh. Well, speaking oh. of the show, we normally talk about what we're geeking out about, but this week we're geeking out about the Watchmen show. Yes. Regina King. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, also. The- Regina King. I know. And yeah, yeah, it's a lot. There's mm-hmm. a lot happening in the show. <laughs> uh, our good friend Cheyenne uh, took me, she was working for HBO at New York Comic Con. And so they had the Watchmen uh, premiere party there. And Regina King, listen, famous people in public, they just stand out in a way that we don't understand. <laughs> like she, like even it, when I'm done up, like she was just glowing. Mm. Like they're just on a different level than the rest of us. A you know, like team helps, man. That's that's true. That's true. <laughs> but it's just like she was wearing regular clothes. I feel like, but she. Oh my gosh, it was just radiant. Um, I feel that way. Yeah, when I run into, I don't know, like Chris Hemsworth or something. Yeah, yeah. It's. So, Regina, I feel like specifically has like a post-Oscar glow. Like mm-hmm, some women like have mm-hmm. babies and they're glowing. She had an Oscar and she was like, I have arrived finally. Hollywood like notices and recognizes. She also talked about how she feels like she's really coming to her own now. I mean, she's obviously been around uh, for a while. <laughs> One of my earliest memories of her, and this just goes for when I was growing up, is um, she was in a Cinderella story. Yeah. Do you remember that? That was so long ago. Wow. Oh, yeah. Um, that was like my... 
Lizzie McGuire days. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she, she's been a phenomenal actress for so long. But she said like having kids like that really being a mother like changed her acting style. Interesting. Mm. Mm-hmm. I cannot speak to um, post children, pre children, Regina King performances, but I do think that there's a level of comfort in this performance, a level of like inherent talent and badassery and sort of like how did it take us this long to realize she should be a superhero yeah (laughs) she's just so flawless at being like dark and brooding but also like really on her detective stuff um it's it's incredible i um, she had better get all the nominations or i'm gonna be very upset about it no we'll we'll see we've been we've been uh burned before oh haven't we all right, let's just jump into the nitty gritty and start with the comics. So Watchmen is a comic book maxi series by the British creative team of ad, uh, of writer Alan Moore and artist David Gibbons and colorist John Higgins. It was published by DC Comics in 1986 and 1987 and collected in a single volume edition in 1987. Watchmen originated from a story proposal more submitted to DC featuring superhero characters uh, that the company had acquired from Charlton comics as Moore's proposed story would have left many of the characters unusable for future stories. Managing editor Dick Giordano convinced Moore to create original characters instead. I can see why he kind of blows out the world at the end of. uh, (laughs) Yeah. He actually originally, so Moore wanted a comic, from MLJ and he couldn't use those so then they recommended uh, Charlton Comics which had just been acquired by DC but then he couldn't use those either so then he just ended up kind of creating characters based off of their characters this actually becomes like an extreme blessing for the comic book because I think if you're taking those original characters they come with all of that backstory Mm -hmm. which you know it can be fun to to see alternate universes um, but to get this straightforward look at superheroes. He was able to take multiple heroes and make a Rorschach and comment on like, what kind of comics are we reading? What kind of stories are we telling our kids and who do we view as heroes? I think it works much better as a metaphor uh, and using the characters as symbolism, as opposed to taking those direct characters and using them in that way. Yeah. So Watchmen depicts an alternate history where superheroes are real in real life. What it would be like where superheroes emerged in the 1940s and 1960s sounds a lot like the Incredibles. It is a little, mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. That's what I thought of whenever Brad Bird had that. Cause it's like set in that fifties style yeah. and it's a world in which what would happen with superheroes? Well, you would probably sue them. There would be, you know, like it's not as pretty as we think it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Superman coming to save the day and we all love him it's like no they like actually this is what it would be like in in real life i often think of that with batman it's like would we really be okay with a billionaire dressing up in rubber oh, definitely and like not i mean beating up people <laughs> i mean that was the one like good takeaway i did have for the joker where it really did uh kind of address that like income disparity in gotham and like how they viewed it and i was like that would be i mean i don't think people are ready if we truly do v- like view that if we got more than just yeah. that surface layer of yeah. like there's mm-hmm. poverty here yeah yeah um because that that would be cool to see how Batman deals with that. I feel like the cartoons actually did try and lightweight tackle it by making Bruce Wayne so much of a, a philanthropist right, in his right, like, right. day job. Uh, so I think we can go beyond that and like see you like, you know, something like the Court of Isles, but real life. Like you go in and trying to like break down this structure. 
Uh, but that's another DC comic. Here, <laughs> we're talking about Watchmen, which has that. If, if you wanted that insight on the world, then uh, you can go. Then Watchmen's going to go even deeper. Alan Moore, very bitter. Uh, <laughs> and I mean that in a good way. He has. He, he's, bitter or awake, iffy. Uh, yeah, he's uh, seeing things. Well, what's also funny is like, you know. Um, but uh, he's like like British, right? Yeah. He's, and he, so like a lot of these quote unquote takes that he has mm-hmm. in Watchmen have to do with, you know, overseas. And I think that's which, you know, we were talking about Stephen King not liking The Shining. Uh, Alan Moore did not like the uh, nope. Watchmen movie. He didn't like V for Vendetta either. He doesn't like this series either. Yeah. Well, I mean, he could I could care less about this series <laughs> because mostly because I think we did better with this series what we're supposed to do because yeah you're you're a Londoner you that's your world this is America so if I we're trying actually to... really like I like that he's a Londoner coming to like make a comment on America I like the the idea of going to another place and examining it with fresh eyes and I feel like he's not so to me it doesn't necessarily feel like he's taking the piss out of America you know it doesn't seem like it's it's degrading to America more yeah. it's just like a this is sort of the all-consuming fear that we all have, and I think for a lot of pop culture things, you can distill it to America because most of pop, the world's pop culture, you know, originates here. Like the big stuff, the stuff that goes global. I think. What, oh, sorry. What I was going to say uh, to your point, to both of y'all's point, is that he said it's not anti-Americanism, but mm-hmm. anti-Reaganism. Yeah. So he did want to specify that. And and it definitely you that breathes through. And I think that's fine too. But when you have like a British white Londoner come in, you always have oversight. Because the one thing that Brits love to like try and like harp on is like America's racism, totally trying to sidestep the fact that they They, went ahead and colonized (laughs) Africa. Uh, As a Nigerian, I always have to point that out. Totally Uh, legitimate. But you know, but I you know, I will pat them on the back that, you know, uh they still do put more interracial couples on TV than we have in mm-hmm. ever period i remember when i first watched doctor who my first tweet after it was like there was more interracial couples on tv in one season than we've had in american the history, history of american television. i feel that way about black mirror yeah. i'm like i've never seen this many black and brown people yeah. period on any show just living their lives hanging out yeah. and being tortured by internet yeah um so joel can you walk us through some of the iconic characters from the watchmen <laughs> and what they're personalities are their history sure uh let's start with the minutemen this is the original batch of watchmen characters that's your silk specters your um night owls uh who else is on that team oh my gosh billy banks or something like that he's like basically a mascot for the bank um (laughs) which is amazing um the minutemen are an interesting team they're started by hooded justice um Kind of, he's sort of the Hooded Justice is the first superhero, period. He stops a robbery at a like local deli. People are instantly like, what is going on? They read uh, the Superman comic, com- comic comes out. He's like, yo, heroes are dope. I'm going to do that. I'm going to like defend people. But Hooded Justice is sort of like uh, their take on Batman, kind of, in that he's like, I will never reveal my identity. Nobody, don't talk to me about anything. I have very specific missions. Uh, he doesn't really get along with the rest of the team. He's gay. Um, he's with another member of the team. They fight a lot. It's messy. Uh, Wait, that's really cool because yeah. I didn't know that about him. So this mm-hmm. was from the 80s is when he or was no, it before? So the, the Minutemen come out like, oh, goodness, test my knowledge here. OK, so 
1930 something we had the original superman the minutemen are like just a few years after that so we're talking late 30s 1938 i think is when he was attacks he the openly deli. queer back no. then oh, okay so that no. was something made. part of the reason i think he was not taking off the mask um and it like they would push him and silk specter together in photos to make it look like he wasn't they'd be like "Ooh, rumors they're dating um and that's how they tried to pull that off. But eventually... Oh, uh, it was founded in 1939 during the Golden Age. Thing. He does, he starts in 1938. The Minutemen are started in 39. Okay. Yes. There's the Keen Act of 77. And then in the 50s, when the McCarthy era is happening, all the uh, superheroes get called in and they're like, yo, you guys need to tell us who you are. We don't like that you're out here fighting crime. That's not really due process of law. It's problematic. He was like, listen... Not doing it disappears. Um, Silk Spectre was the first one to kind of realize that you could make like money off of this. And she was like, listen, I can market myself. People will like it. We'll sell dolls. She tried to make a movie. It bombed horribly. And after the disbanding of superheroes, she didn't do really well. Her daughter later takes over her mantle to varying degrees of effect. Um, Night Owl, former police officer, second superhero inspired by uh, Hooded Justice's story. He reads it in the paper. He's like, wow. He sees Superman. He's like, yes, I want to do this. He writes a book that tells all of the Minutemen's dirty secrets, including the fact that the comedian tried to rape um, yeah. Silk Spectre. Uh, so that really hurts the team. Uh, but he's like, yo, I'm done. I'm out. I'm coming clean. They're coming after us anyway. What's the point? Um, and then I'll just finish up with a comedian. There's others, but we can. you guys can read up on this. Uh, a comedian is like basically a soldier for hire. He starts by being this kind of like wears a black mask, very like leathery sort of vibes going on. Um, and then once the government is like, listen, no more superheroes. You can come work for us, though, because you're pretty good at your job. They drop him in Vietnam. He is having so much fun killing women and children. Very disturbing. Um, until Dr. Manhattan is created on accident, joins him, and now he's a human walking bomb, and he is a god. He ends the war, and that is sort of what starts the rejection of the history in Watchmen. Uh, it's basically like a parallel universe, but if... People became heroes and Dr. Manhattan ended the war. So America wins in Vietnam. It's like a rousing victory. We pick up Vietnam as a state. And then from there, we're like booming with technology. Dr. Manhattan introduces this whole new world of like tech. So we have electric cars now and computers are faster. And it's like a glorious kind of golden age uh, with heroes back under control. Everyone feels pretty good. Then in the 70s, you have the next round of superheroes. So you have a new night owl. So it comes back. Dr. Manhattan's fighting. It doesn't last very long. Government's like, you can't do this. We have actual people to uphold the law. And that's where we enter here. Rorschach is like, listen, I don't give an F what any of you say. I'm going to still go out here, wear my weird changey mask and uh, <laughs> be a hero. Um, and the book kind of takes a really sharp look at, again, who we call a hero. Oh, yeah. I forgot to say. So the the watchman term comes from a Latin phrase that essentially translates as who watches the watchman. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. And it's in it. It is like that general. I think the mythos of the book is just basically Lex Luthor's like initial mythos against, you know, against Superman, which is like well, we shouldn't trust this powerful alien sure. like in in a normal world. Lex Luthor isn't really that much of a bad guy. He's just someone with sense where it's like, no, we shouldn't let this super powered <laughs> alien just do whatever he wants. And then mm. that drives him mad uh, and money and all that. But it, it is funny how like Lex, yeah, he isn't, <laughs> no, he has a point and yeah, it is a insight. So 
the just to talk about all the information that went down is that just sprinkled throughout the book or is that all supplemental stuff as well or uh so if you get i've only ever read watchmen as the completed novel okay. so i know some people who've read it separately i think they still had all this little bit of information in the back of each comic there's like either uh, a big magazine or a book that's between see, that's one to five pages okay, long that gives you all of this like very rich history so for example the first Night Owl, he wrote, the parts of the book he wrote are in the first two comics. And then there's um, there's <laughs> a secondary pirate comic they write that sort of parallels all of the things happening inside of the story. It's about um, a big ship that collects oh, yeah. dead souls, basically. And isn't it is that's the one that's kind of like popping up throughout the uh, throughout the story, right? Yeah, the kid at the newsstand he mm -hmm. always goes to the newsstand to read it which if you're poor and you ever went to a comic book store just to read the comics you can relate that was my story um and you know, so the floor of borders putting bookstores out of business that's what millennials did listen <laughs> you should have given worry. us you money we would have liked to have read those yeah, books yeah. in our home but that's look stealing. it wasn't just you it was all of us <laughs> i don't know why borders never stopped us from reading all those manga on the floor of borders like just droves of kids just sitting yeah. in a walden's books borders barnes and nobles Reading bunny manga ears on, just really and not it. a single employee said anything. Uh, the employees were not paid enough to care in the yeah. same way that when I saw kids true. hopping movies at the AMC, I was like, God bless you. Yeah, yeah. Have fun, kids. I don't have the time. I know. <laughs> or the There's always that one, though. There's always that one who just feels it's going to get them employee of the month. one moment of power. They try it, and then they don't get employee of the month, and then they, they realize. Everyone has to learn. Everyone does one extra thing at their like part-time job <laughs> and get no recognition for it. And that's when you learn, oh, this is it's useless. Not worth it. I remember I think about mine every Halloween at <laughs> Halloween Horror Nights. I was so trying to like I was like trying to stand out and be like the good one. And like if I knew I knew if I stood out, I you know, they would they would keep me. And there was a guy, all he was, he was just trying to bring in a pipe with some weed. You know, have a good night. I don't know why you would try and be high in a scary place. That is my why worst nightmare. But he was he was doing it. And I caught him and he was like, he was a young brother too. We looked and he tried uh -oh. to he gave me the bro, like, come on, bro. And I was like, black. I need a job, bro. And oh, I no. went and I reported oh, no. him and they patted me on the back and then they let me go at the end of the season. Yes. And that's when I learned. <laughs> yeah, never I, never show out. Yep. Yeah. Never break color lines. Always uh, employee lines. <laughs> we we have to take a really quick break and then we're gonna hop back into more of the Watchmen right after this. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Ding dong, Las, Las Culturistas calling. iHeart Podcast Awards 2023 Podcast of the Year Las Culturistas with SNL's Bowen Yang and comedian Matt Rogers. There's stuff happening in 2024 that we really need to address. Pop culture and huge guests like the latest episode with Dua Lipa. The more I think about it, the more scared and nervous I get. Listen to the newest episode of Las Culturistas with Dua Lipa and all episodes on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Las Culturistas to start listening. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? 
What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame starting May 7th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Uh, Joelle, was there any other characters yeah. that we... Okay. Okay. So let's just to wrap... There are so many characters, guys. So I apologize. So just to recap, in our current day, we have a version of Night Owl. He's newer, younger, fresher. This is all he's ever wanted to do. We have Silk Spectre. She dresses in the yellow and black. She is the daughter of the old Silk Spectre. She doesn't really want to be here, but she's doing it anyway. When she was 16, she started hooking up with Dr. Manhattan, who was like late 30s, early 40s. When yeah. she was 16. When she was 16. Is this from the This is 80s, in the but- text. The original text very clearly. She was 16. <laughs> <laughs> it freaked me out. I was like, I had to reread it twice. Like, wait, what? Um, so that happened. Um, but I mean, they're together for 20 years. It's still weird, but context, I don't know. Um, so then uh, Dr. Manhattan, big blue guy, likes to walk around naked yep. in basically a bomb. Um, then you have Rorschach. He has the, as he's, he's named, like Rorschach. He's like the most iconic. Yeah. yeah. He's got the trench coat, the hat. He's sort of designed out of off the question, which is a character from DC. Um, he His face changes, and uh, he was abused as a child. He had a horrible life. Uh, and he thinks of the mask as his face. Uh, then you have Ozymandias, who is sort of becomes the bad guy. Spoiler alert. If you're like liking everything we're talking about, like maybe I'll go read this comic. Stop. Like, don't listen. Um, Ozzy, <laughs> don't do yeah, it. You set the spoiler already okay, before right. that alert. Okay. All right. We're good. We're good. I just want to make sure maybe sometimes, you know, yeah, people change no, their mind definitely. midway. Okay. Um, this guy basically thinks he's the next coming of Alexander the Great. Um, he is a narcissist of the highest order. Um, is born wealthy, gives all of that up, tracks through the desert, follows like Alexander's path, regains all of his money, becomes like this marketing genius, basically. So he's a billionaire. He owns this huge company. He predicts trends. At the end of this story. Oh, and a year before the Keen Act, which outlawed superheroes forever, yeah. he revealed his identity, which is really important to note because this is sort of what makes people trust him. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, well, he was honest with us and he yeah. told us who he is. And he's a good guy. He's a philanthropist and he's in good shape and he's white and he's blonde. He's the best. Um, also want to say the privilege of like giving all your money away and still being able to get it all back. <laughs> it was wild. It's a wild journey. And so and he's kind of like a suave ladies like you women would want to be with him. But we don't see him with a lot of ladies like that's sort of the persona that he has. Uh, in the end, he decides that what the world needs, um, I, the whole book is based off the fear it's of an atomic bomb, an atomic attack again. Um, and what do we do when we're afraid? So his solution is if we're all afraid of different countries and borderlines, what if a giant space squid fell from the sky, landed on New York, killed half the population? So we're talking about three million, three and a half million people. Uh, and then we would be afraid of space. And so we would like band together and it freaking worked. People were like, yo, 
screw that space alien. We're done with technology. Like, we don't want none of that anymore. We need a new cowboy in office. Um, so Robert Redford runs for president at the end. Um, and basically, yeah, then he sort of gets to get away with it. So so Ozymandias Wild. gets away with it, right? I, um, so here's the thing. In the text, the final scene is Rorschach, who's been keeping a journal of everything, discovers, oh, this is what he's going to do. Writes all of that down, sent it into a conservative newspaper. Now, that's all you know. So it's a very much a cliffhanger at the end of the book. If you choose to follow the story's canon as it travels to television, we have answers about how that ends now. Okay. If we want to transition we'll, into we'll that. We'll get to that. <laughs> okay. But I want to Pause. talk about, too, uh, I'm, for some reason, I'm forgetting Dr. Manhattan's arc. Uh, what, what ends up happening with... Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, Dr. Manhattan basically decides to leave because yeah. he doesn't understand humanity anymore. He's become just like higher thought basically he's like <laughs> yeah. a dead body has the same atoms as an alive yeah, body is, so there's literally no difference to me yeah he's so, a galaxy brain like exactly. the, the comic book version i'm thinking so much further beyond humanity so he goes to mars and he builds himself a little palace he's having a good time there but there is one person he cares about that's Lori, aka silk specter so he comes back down grabs her whisks her off to mars and is like Yo, if you can convince me to care about these humans, uh, maybe I'll come back. Now, Dr. Manhattan sees in multiple times. So basically, anything that's happening to him, it's all happening to him at once, if that makes yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. What happened in 1956, 77, 88, now, it all, he can see it all at the same time happening to him. He can see in the future and the past. Um, but and he's like, convince me, basically, convince me. So, and just as a note on yeah. what you just said, visually it's really cool because you're having these multiple panels showing like these different time frames, and it's translated within that way instead of just outright saying it as you're watching these different moments happen. Listen, I'll read you three panels real quick. In this, this is Dr. Manhattan talking. He's on Mars. He's looking at a photograph of him and his first wife, Janie. He says, the photograph is in my hand. It is the photograph of a man and a woman. They are at an amusement park in 1959. In 12 seconds time, I drop the photograph to the sand at my feet, walking away. It's already lying there 12 seconds into the future. 10 seconds now. The photograph is in my hand. I found it in a derelict bar at the Gilla Flats test-based 27 hours ago. This is how he sees all of time. It's either happening now, in the past. it's all at the same time. So basically, Lori's like, listen, if you love me and the implausibility of all of time that, that I came into being, like, you have to see the miracle that is humanity and want to protect that. And he's like, okay, kind of. Yeah. He plops back down to earth, but he lands like two seconds after the squid has already done its job. (laughs) Um, The squid lives for like six seconds, three seconds, and then dies immediately. Um, It turns out Ozzy's had like these, basically he set up a bunch of different satellites and stuff that would block his ability to see in the future and what he, what specifically Ozzy was doing. I want to say that I, I'm so floored by the fact that he's so inhuman and he still gets a ton of booty. Like, I mean, I'm listening to this and I'm like, this man is a human calculator. I mean, and then he's just like scoring hot shit. Like, we just want someone that will hold us and many, respect us. That's but tr- it. Truly, how many of uh, of your friends are chasing 
emotionally unavailable men. I mean, call us and all out. I mean, and this, this guy, guy is shredded. Too. Listen, you know what he does though? He probably keeps all his appointments. He doesn't go. So like he probably will he's take very if practical. You, if you're super emotional, I prefer a practical partner who's yeah. like, let's just look at the. He's logic probably here. very time oriented. He can you know? also be multiple places at once, so he can have as many hands as you would need to get the job he's done. He's not gonna send you a a Y a W Y D text like you know. At, he's gonna be considerate. Anyways, I'm sorry. I'm just uh, looking no, no, at no. the pictures of the women that he's. Been, if it makes I'm, you feel any better, Lori leaves him at the end of the comic and is off with um, her owl guy, um, and they have like a very domestic ending. It's cute. Um, but to your point, he comes back. Um, Rorschach cannot take the injustice of Ozymandias winning, so uh, Manhattan snaps him dead, basically, and is like, "Listen, you can't be here, uh, ruining our plans. We're trying to. We've achieved peace at a horrible cost, but it's achieved. Let's not. Yeah, go because that, that's what happened. Is Manhattan's kind of like, oh. I, I, I get what you did. and Yeah, he's like, I, I wouldn't have done it, but we're here now. Yeah. So well, what are our best options? Yeah, and then Rorschach is losing his mind, crying in the snow. And he's like, all right, bye. Yeah, Rorschach begs him for death. He's like, yeah. just do it because this world is freaking nuts. Yeah. Uh, and that is what Dr. Manhattan did. And he goes back to Mars. He's like, yeah, I really don't care about anything happening yeah, yeah. here. Peace out. So we have to talk about just a couple of other comic stuff before we hop into the movie, which I know Ify wants to talk about. Um, so there were nine prequel miniseries in 2012. So if you do love the comedian, I don't know, for some reason, and you want to read his sequel, I mean, his prequel, um, there's an entire comic d- devoted to him. There's also Doomsday Clock, which I heavily, I actually really enjoyed, although it's not over. Like, they were dealing with a lot of delays. So now, you know, okay, so essentially, Essentially, Doomsday Clock is was written by uh, Jeff Johns and uh, art by Gary Frank and colorist Brad Anderson. So it was essentially a world where uh, what if Dr. Manhattan like left this universe? Uh, and but what happened with it is that it was supposed to affect the rest of DC Comics. However, the rest of DC Comics has kind of like moved on. (laughs) So it's like, what are we doing with this storyline? Something cool that happened when the original Watchmen came out was that it kind of made the other DC Comics a little bit darker. Uh, This was a super dark comic and it kind of influenced Superman and Wonder Woman and Batman at the time. So they ended up doing a one shot. It's called DC Universe Rebirth, and that was to essentially essentially explain that Dr. Manhattan was the reason why that was happening. Yeah. So, um, and I know this because I talked to our friend Hector Navarro, who is like an encyclopedic <laughs> knowledge, and I'm like, explain this Universe Rebirth. It's um, a fun. It's a fun rebirth because again, if you think about the theme of time and how the importance of it throughout Watchmen and the idea that Alan Moore did fundamentally change the face of comics, not. J- Yes, the Watchmen, because now on a literary scale, it's be- comics are now considered uh, being considered, period, mm-hmm. before they were like child's play. And um, I was like, no, look, great art. Um, so between this series and Swamp Man, not only were, did things get darker, but we also started taking comic books more seriously. We started looking at artists more seriously. And I think that there's something kind of fun, especially with the difficult relationship Alan Moore and DC have had of them being like, well, well, we'll pay homage like many, many years too late. And after making very terrible deals with you, but we'll, we'll try to, you know, honor you in, in this way. Um, I kind of wish it had stuck around. I think it would have been interesting yeah. to put that whole layer up, but I think that's also a lot of pressure for writers to constantly be considering this cornerstone work 
that is constantly making you know maybe not the greatest statements about superheroes in general yeah. to try to work under that umbrella all of the time on something you genuinely love might be challenging oh yeah definitely do you both also know about the button the smiley face no. button no the comic oh yeah but please explain that to <laughs> to people uh the smiley face button, which is like iconic i didn't know what yeah. it was for like the first 12 years of my life the lore of it to the best of my understanding is this the smiley face was one of the most recognizable symbols uh in the united states at the time and because he's a comedian, they were sort of looking for like a badge or a symbol for him. Every different hero got a, a badge or a symbol because um, they were trying to figure out how to market them to the larger public. So his became the smiley face. Uh, but if you know anything about the comedian, you know that he's laughing at literally everything. And that gets very disturbing up to a point. Um, and so the opening image for the comic is sort of that smiley face splattered with blood. It's on the cover. Um, and it kind of just represents both the comedy and the gore that you're about to get into. <laughs> yeah, so there was a comic that came out called The Button. It was a 2017 this. comic book crossover. It was actually a storyline where Batman and the Flash worked together to uncover the truth behind the mysterious button that they found, or that Batman found in the Batcave. Uh, so there's so much lore, honestly, behind oh, yeah. The Watchmen. But we uh, also had a film that had a lot of... Yeah, yeah. It was released in 2009 and directed by Zack Snyder, and it was based off the comics. I mean, really, there's only one thing to really <laughs> talk about, because it is like a pretty faithful adaptation uh and you know it has it's one of those one uh one of the it's the one uh, cl uh broken clock uh being right twice where his uh zack snyder's dark vision you know totally fits this comic and and this was 2009 so we haven't seen it a million times so it was very fresh mm -hmm. you know we were very ready for it so it's great yeah there's you like i said really nothing to say because it follows it there was only one change and that's why i had to bring it up because i have to to talk about how much I dislike this change. Get and the into change it. was they removed the squid that we talked about and everything that we explained and changed it to Dr. Manhattan exploding in New York. And this is what was supposed to uh, make, a, you know, all these states that were at odds come together. And, you know, because Dr. Manhattan, quote unquote, went rogue, which uh, which. If you know anything about just the way politics and the blame game that comes with disasters go, that would that just wouldn't happen. And that is just a complete lack of uh, like if that happened, no one would assume that Dr. Manhattan went wrong. Uh, rogue, it would be looked at as the U.S. at fault. It would probably be speculized that maybe they were testing it to use on one or the other one, maybe even furthering this arms arms race. So the the squid was perfect as is, and the reason I disliked it is because it felt like that very early early 2009 comic book movie thing of being of thinking, oh, this was too silly, and it only works in a comic. It was exactly that. I remember reading a lot of interviews with Zack Snyder, being like, hey, well, we can't really do that. Like, who would a, believe it, or B, like, I think they were talking about, I mean, I'm trying to think 2009 graphics and, yeah. like, what that would physically look like. But if you look at the comic, I think it's, like, only two or three panels. Yeah. And all you're seeing are tentacles. You yeah. see a big eye and a couple tentacles on a building. You have yeah. my attention. <laughs> you know what, <laughs> Wow. It's been a long day. I have to make our... our <laughs> All right. Well, that, and that's pretty much the movie. It should have been done. Okay, yeah. so the budget was one thirty, uh, one hundred thirty to one hundred thirty-eight million. It actually did make a hundred one hundred eighty-five point three million in the box office. So it nice. did make its money back and more. 
Oh, nice. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's funny because I I I've have a strong film opinion about superhero movies, and it's funny to think back in those days when you mm. were making only like eighty uh, million more when mm. you make a superhero movie. Uh, you know, I believe superhero movies are guaranteed hits now because we they've been so consistent for so long that it's trusted that people will at least see it even if it's a Mm -hmm. spectacle Mm -hmm. which is why movies like joker and venom still do really well even though like everyone's like this even people online are like this can't be that great uh so and my my pitch before we move on is that instead of trying to hire these like big time you know directors who like do it. I think you should pilot newer directors on movies and let them. That's do- smart. Here's my pitch too: uh, to double down on that and give them a smaller budget. Yeah, make Ooh. small budget, intimate stories with superheroes. We do not need an apocalypse at the end of every superhero movie. I'm yeah. so tired of it. I mean, that's why uh, Ant Man was so refreshing. Yeah, because you went from these big thing to like a small heist and a. A guy who loves his daughter. Same with Homecoming. Right. Yeah. It felt so good. Was yeah. it Jason Aaron who did that really good run of Hawkeye? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand why that is not a movie we've been getting yeah. had yet. Or even like how we don't have like a really good like Kamala Khan as like, you know, a young girl just in high school, like fighting a local bad guy with a killer yeah. soundtrack. Like, oh, yeah. done. Wrap yeah. it up. I'm ready. <sighs> I'm I'm waiting for because I think whatever Kamala Khan movie comes out, it needs to be shot like a teen movie. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't understand how Marvel doesn't have an entire line of teen movies. I'm so sorry. This is really off track, but just like yeah. really quick between her and America Chavez and both Spider-Men. Like, you've got an entire and then you have, uh, oh, my gosh, what are their Young Justice version? Oh, you're talking about uh, the new Avengers. Yeah, you know, the Hawkeye and um, I mean, technically Captain Marvel. Yes, and the little queer babies. Yeah. Give them to me. Um, well, yeah, I think that I think what they're doing though is they want to make sure that everyone goes to Disney Plus. So yeah. that's why a lot of those. And I think to you know, their the credit, I mean, showing up. I, I mean, <laughs> for the Mandalorian, the they're work. giving them a a movie budget. I mean, and it's for really each cool. episode. Yeah, it's it's really uh, cool seeing the stuff that they're. Uh, that they have planned for Marvel and taking these like side stories that won't be these huge movies, but can explore these stories, yes. which will hopefully, yes, will lead to new Avengers and me being cast as Cap. Uh, you know, just, you know, I was, you know, I was running out of black heroes and then now we're getting so deep in there that we can go like new power man, mm-hmm. young, uh, uh, I feel bad for uh, forgetting his name. What was it? Was, was it justice? I don't know. Uh, are you talking about Aqualad? No, no. I'm talking about, even though, yes, <laughs> you were like, well. no, <laughs> no, it's, uh, the leader of young justice and he's the Isaiah Bradley. That's ah. Isaiah Bradley, his grandson, Elijah Bradley, Patriot of the young Avengers, not Ow. new Avengers. Uh, so I was super it's double crazy that they both new Avengers and young justice have black leads. We're so off track, but yeah. wow. What young a revelation. Avengers. It's young Avengers, not new Avengers. Okay. I, I, I misspoke. Uh-huh. Young Avengers, the young Avengers and young justice. I see why we're, yeah. That's okay. Anyway, mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah, we, we digress. Have, we have to take a really quick break and then we're going to hop into the show. Yes! Now, if you haven't seen it, we're not going to give any huge spoilers away. We're just going to kind of talk set about, it up. we're going to set it up and kind of talk about some of the issues that it tackles right after this. Ding dong, Las Culturistas calling. iHeart Podcast Awards 2023 Podcast of the Year Las Culturistas with SNL's Bowen Yang and comedian Matt Rogers. There's stuff happening in 2024 that we really need to address. Pop culture and huge guests like the latest episode with Dua Lipa. 
The more I think about it, the more scared and nervous I get. Listen to the newest episode of Las Culturistas with Dua Lipa and all episodes on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Las Culturistas to start listening. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame starting May 7th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So, Joelle, you are actually doing recaps yes. for if you oh. have watched the show or once you do watch the show, if this makes you want to watch it, where can people catch your recaps? AV Club, TV Club, about right. 9.05 every day after the episode airs. Um, we get into heavy spoilers, so you know, it's a recap. Come prepared. But I also do my best to try to give you guys enough history from the original comic and talk about what's being laid over and I make some wild predictions at the end, um, the message boards on uh, AV Club are amazing. So if you guys want to join Yay. the conversation, they're giving me so much new information. Damon Lindelof, mm -hmm. he j loves this story so much. He's got a quote actually on the back of my comic. Uh, the greatest piece of popular fiction ever produced. So there's a direct quote from Damon about Watchmen. Uh, this comes out 2005, I think. So almost 20 years ago. Um, it's amazing to me that he's been able to produce such a high quality, such a thought provoking, thoughtful, loving, like homage to the original comic and still make it polished and updated for viewers today. Like even just two episodes in, it's it's quite an accomplishment. I'm loving the TV series. Yeah. So can you set it up for us? Uh, what are we walking into? 35 years into the future. Roughly 35. Uh, it's 2019. Um you, yeah, from the future of Watchmen. From the future of Watchmen. So the Watchmen ends 1985. That's when the squid drops. 11-2 is the date they use to describe the event, uh, much like our 9-11. Um, you enter in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The cops have just faced what is called the White Night, which is a night where a local white supremacist terrorist organization invades all the cops' homes and does their best to assassinate, murder, remove all of them in a single night. Uh, they don't fully succeed, but they get pretty close. Uh, the governor, along with uh, the police, decide that the best option is for them to be masked. So they're essentially a police force of superheroes, though they don't view themselves like that at all. 
they're like we wear the mask for our own protection because people try to assassinate us um some stuff you can get off of there's a thing called pdpedia which is run by dale Petey of the fbi um the operation against mass heroes something i can't remember the uh acronym uh, but basically the fbi runs an organization that helps make sure any vigilantes are immediately snuffed out before they take charge um in there you get a bunch of like really great information mostly uh what i want to focus on today here is that after dr manhattan goes back to mars there's in the middle of watchman uh there's a theory that he is causing cancer to those he's closest to he invented a lot of technology that helped move them up uh the world up techno technologically and now people are afraid of technology so in the show there are beepers and still a phone book and oh, mostly wow. people use landlines because they've become terrified of technology and the damage that it can do so much so that companies have to be like listen we have a new computer and you need to use it it's not dangerous we promise you like please 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 don't be afraid of this technology we need to move forward it's also the reason cops are kind of stuck in the past not enough crimes are getting solved because we haven't updated to a computer system which means we're still doing everything by hand with old giant binders it's messy old school police work which makes for a cool gritty like crime drama because it gives you that old school feel and it doesn't feel forced i'm sorry because i review these i've seen some ahead and i want to make sure i'm not giving you guys any kind of spoilers or anything well i could talk about a side thing that isn't necessarily a spoiler because it wouldn't be an episode of nerdificent <laughs> if we didn't ruin some nerd stuff with our sjw crap Hell but yeah, this takes it. place oh, in yeah. tulsa which is known for the bombings of mm. uh, black wall street and yes. i uh i heard that they actually do some like Ooh. some homages akin to that to kind of you know actually like bring this because i think a lot of people don't know that that happened i mean i definitely was late in life uh when mm -hmm. i found it i spoke about it as if i've already died uh <laughs> but like it's a it's it's a it's it's funny because it just kind of is a such a response to the why won't the black community pull themselves up by their bootstraps and it's like well we were mm -hmm. and every time we do it White people are there to, you know, come along and just burn it to the ground. And yeah. and so, uh, sorry, I didn't. No. Well, I, no, let's let's talk about that, that yeah. Ify, because this show, Watchmen, has a 98% certified fresh on the tomato meter. That is by critics, almost 100. It says 89 reviews have mm -hmm. gotten it to 98%. Audience score, I hear that, but... 43%. Yeah. Whoa, really? 43%. Um, when you look at... Whoa, whoa. Why do we think that critics have... Yeah, and it's because it I is... Um, that's, this is what we're talking about. Uh, <laughs> I am so upset at, I don't know, people who voted thumbs down. Because, I mean, well, you really I think just it's have because to of what it, racist. Well, here's the thing. I am patting DC on the back for tackling this. And on Immigrant Day, I retweeted it. They said, immigrants make the multiverse better. <laughs> Hashtag immigrants. Yes, they did. I loved it. I am so happy that they are like, F y'all, we can't say the real thing. Um, the, you know, they're telling these stories. But one thing I, I kind of want to, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I want to touch on because something you were saying and with the tomato meter that made me think is like the, the thing that, that gets me is like, I think like the people who are like dumbing it down and saying force SJW, they aren't even people I think are fully 
on the right. It really is this group of people who are quote unquote apathetic, who are quote unquote Mm -hmm. in the middle, who are quote unquote. And every time I see that sentiment, it always comes. It seems to come from that group more than anything. And it's very funny because it goes back to that thing of like when uh, they say when you don't. uh, It's the Martin Luther King quote everyone uses where like if you uh, if you don't pick a side, you have chosen the side of white supremacy. Yeah. But it's like, but it really does feel that way where it's like, you're the, like, cool, you don't want to pick a side, but if someone wants to speak out against the, you know, oppressor, then, then you have a problem. I've with definitely it. had some of these comments in, you know, chats or I'm like, I just don't understand. And a lot of times it's so funny because their critiques are so very vague. They're like, some guy was just like, I just feel it's very contrived. Yeah, the thought was put into it. It is contrived. Like. Also, I'm sorry, but did you read the original comics by a man who literally people were saying was anti-American? But yeah. there's also the thing of people walked away thinking Rorschach was the hero of this story. Yes, so yes let's talk about that. A lot of people that. are not getting... And so he, let, let me wrap all... Okay, so Nicole Kessel, who is the director of the pilot and episode two... D- the way she shot that opening scene was like you felt history come alive in a way that I don't think we often get, especially for like black people. Like it's sort of it reminded me of um, Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan, those mm-hmm. which are just very intimate portrayals of what chaos and catastrophe looks like. Um, and I think that th- what the show is giving us in we saw um Night Sister, that's Regina King's character, visit a museum recently and like learn. You could basically just look up family history in there, which is, I mean, like if you know your family history, if you can trace it back, that's incredible. So many black Americans cannot. Um, My family, we've gotten back to, I want to say my three greats. So we can track two decades back in two people into slavery back to grandmothers past that there's just not records we just we were nameless on paper being shifted around to different places you can't track your history like that so if there was a way to have a dna database to sort of start examining you know who were your people and where did they come from and what does that mean like my god it's amazing the idea of like i know redford Asians are rubbing people really the wrong way that's uh robert redford gives black people reparations in the <laughs> show and it's so beautiful now they live in like this thriving metropolis of black people so many black extras on this damn show just looking amazing oh, yeah. living in this like stunning space a space that i think typically would have been gentrified by white people is what it looks like but it's got a whole bunch of like a thriving black community and i think that for david he was like if you don't know, David Lindelof is um, creator of Lost. He did, um, I'm having a brain fart, y'all. Lost is, his, oh, Leftovers. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are his two big shows. He does these really thoughtful examinations of what it means to basically exist. Like, what does it mean to be a person, a good person? How do we handle ourselves in crisis? For him to turn his eye and be like, so, like, what have black people been doing under crisis in America forever? Starting in 1921, but then also going back in the second episode to look at Black people fighting for um, America in World War One, and what that was like when you could not get equal service in America, but were dying for your country. How does that like wreak havoc on the soul? And then, more importantly, what does that do to your children and their children? And how do we carry that? He said very openly, like he was nervous about it, but that as a person in a position of power, he felt it important. And as a black person who loves comics, who's always, you know, very excited to go to these movies and see these TV shows or whatever, to feel that lens specifically turned to my community in a way that is not looking down upon or feeling bad for, but just simply examining the circumstances 
My God. Well, yeah. to me, it's so telling whenever, like you said, examining the circumstances and when people, I literally, I was reading reviews of it and one said preachy and another <laughs> says forced. And I'm like, why is it that when we tell our stories, it's forced? Well, it's because they're not thinking about it. So it feels forced. It's like, oh, because never in your life do you think about this because it doesn't feel forced when people, when, when you watch succession, you're like, oh, they're not, they're forcing this idea that being rich is so bad. Also, don't say you have a hard time understanding black stories when you're watching all those rich people and you ain't never been rich in your life. Oh, if you know, like no, it's just like it's, it people. People are always reaching and making some sort of excuse or you know BS to like to like try and like shoot down things that are trying to say something and you to like like and we said this uh, a few episodes back to like really try and like look at a medium that was really uplifted by two jewish dudes from new york and try and be like oh it's sjw force it's like no nah, it's been sjw they literally created always... a superman to go fight like a monster that was attacking them directly like yeah. also what do you think the justice league or any of these are they are warriors fighting for social justice like oh, you yeah. guys, i like we get those comments sometimes to iffy and i i'm like well we're talking about ser- superhero culture what do you think superhero culture is well, it's a team of of superheroes who are taking on who are trying to right the injustices done to marginalize groups well here's what 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 it is and uh and then after this we can close but here's what it is is that the way every person who reads superhero the way we the idea that we have of a superhero is someone who fights for what's important Mm. the problem that that we have that i think that is being lost in translation is the idea of what's important to people. Mm-hmm. If, if, if the, if, you know, f- if equality and freedom for all people isn't important to you, every time you see those heroes fight that, it seems like they're doing something weird, but it's like, no, bro, you just never realized you just never paid attention because you've only cared about yourself. You've only cared about the things affecting you. And you've let that be an excuse and let that make you into a whiny shriveled up person who honestly can't be that good. Because if you cannot care for the, per- the people who are surrounding you, if you cannot care for your fellow human being, you have no humanity and you are a villain. You're not a hero. Yeah. And I want to say to the people that are like, well, just don't change the source material. I would like you to go back in the time when the source material was made in the 30s and 40s. And we were not allowed in those stories. We were not allowed to be on screen. We were not allowed to be on the cover. So, yeah, now it's going to be reflective. Uh, it, this We were always a part of the world. We just weren't allowed to be reflected in it. Now we are. So I'm sorry that they're infusing us into the story. We've always been here. We just weren't allowed to be on the cover. I'll do you one better. We'll do whatever we we want to the source material. Hey. You go read the source material. You want to read that? Go read that. It's there for you. It's not getting deleted. I can't encourage you enough if you're enjoying this conversation to just keep watching Watchmen because the way they are examining the history of comic books and superheroes, especially in some of those later episodes, I just, you guys, shaken, shaken. There's a moment I had to pause and write a review. I skipped four reviews to write a review. I was so moved by an episode. I was like, you did that like i i just think it's so important that if you're not ready to or don't want to examine your white privilege or if it makes you uncomfortable to see black and brown people 
in heroic roles or if it makes you uncomfortable to see the destruction and the devastation that they faced to take a second and ask yourself just why are you uncomfortable with that and deal with that on your own without ruining or or trampling on other people's excitement to just see themselves on a screen you see yourself all the time take yourself out of it i mean even i think i even want to even though that is a very important message and yes clock that i even want to take like five steps back and just say if you see someone enjoying something let them have that. Yeah. Why do you have to? Why do you have to input the th- why you don't like the thing they like to the conversation? That's never been fun. It's never been cool, and people didn't do that back in the day because people wouldn't talk to you. But now you have a platform where you can just insert your voice, um, you know, and 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 disappear into the night behind your anime avatar. It's like if if someone's enjoying something, there's tons of things that people enjoy that I do not care for, or there are tons of people. And music, rappers, you know, artists that people love. Wow. And I do not, for the life of me, uh. give half of a smidgen. And you know what I do? I just keep scrolling. Keep Why? pushing. Because I follow too many anime boobs to be wasting time arguing with somebody on Twitter. Oh my gosh. I do want to say um, one of these reviews said that it was too woke. Uh, on that note, uh, Joelle, Joelle, mm. too woke Joelle, where can hey. everyone catch you? Uh, yeah, follow me over at Twitter at Joelle Monique, is, find all of the things. Uh, AV Club TV Club, or I'll hopefully be reviewing a couple more shows coming up. I really love that community, so if you want to join in the conversation, We'd love to have you. And finally, in the next magazine, oh my gosh, we're so excited, guys. Uh, Cultured Magazine, the cover issue is going to be um, Lena Waithe and Melina Matsukas. I got to sit down with both of them and talk about their new movie, uh, which wait to see <laughs> we it. will be talking about for literally ever. It's so good. It's called Queen and Slim. It comes out November 16th, I think. Oh Check God. your local listings. Buy a ticket. Be the first. Don't wait a second weekend or the ending will be spoiled for you. I'm at Ms. Danny Fernandez, and just another heads up, I have that Fathom event. If you love the Twilight Zone, I think they're showing four of the original Twilight Zone episodes. It's November 14th at local theaters, so check it out. Uh, I think you can just Google Fathom event Twilight Zone, and I pop up to talk a little bit about Rod Serling before it starts and or in between the episodes. I don't know. One of those things. (laughs) And, you know, me uh, next uh, or you're listening to this. So uh, this weekend, if you're in St. Louis, uh, me and those guys and white women will be at the Flyover Comedy Fest doing some improv. And after that, I'm probably going to be eating some barbecue. So catch me at a barbecue spot, <laughs> munching down or on stage, whatever have you. Buy him some hang. ribs. Be a yes. real fan. Be, I mean, look, uh, we'll have to discuss because I'm back on keto, so no sauce on it. I got to I gotta eat it dry. Uh, <laughs> God. <laughs> like we always say, stay, stay nerdy. nerdy. Stay too woke. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.
Ding dong, Las Culturistas calling. iHeart Podcast Awards 2023 Podcast of the Year, Las Culturistas, with SNL's Bowen Yang and comedian Matt Rogers. There's stuff happening in 2024 that we really need to address. Pop culture and huge guests like the latest episode with... Dua Lipa! The more I think about it, the more scared and nervous I get. Listen to the newest episode of Las Culturistas with Dua Lipa and all episodes on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Las Culturistas to start listening. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame starting May 7th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.